Colossians 4, verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Father, in Jesus' name, please help us today. Open our understanding. Open our eyes to your truth. Lord, give us illumination, Lord. We need to understand this book, Lord. And it's not, a, it's not, it's not Lord, that it's hard to understand, but as much as it is, Lord God, that the devil's attacking us and we're wicked people and we need your help, Father. Lord, please cleanse our hearts and our minds and give us the, the wisdom that we need to understand your word, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's look at this in the greater context. Walk, with, with, um, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. In the greater context, we could go back all the way to Genesis and work our way through the whole Bible. We're just going to start at chapter 3, verse 1, and remind ourselves of what Paul was saying here. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Walk in wisdom toward them which are without, then must be based upon this risen life with Christ. It must be based on the fact that Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. He says in verse 2, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now this is something we've studied out these verses, but we're just reminding ourselves of them right now. So we're to set our affection on things above, not on things that are on the earth. This walking in wisdom then must be based on setting our affections correctly according to the word of God. Now the context is going to help us to understand the text. Con means with, text means text. It means the verse that you're reading. And so whenever you're reading a verse, you must look at the verses around the verse, above and below the verse, in order to properly understand what God is saying in the verse. So this wisdom then is a wisdom that is not based on the things that are on the earth, but of wisdom that is based on the things that are above. And then look at verse five, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now the wisdom of this world is highly sought after, and people go to colleges and universities to get the wisdom of this world. They spend tens of thousands of dollars, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars to get a piece of paper to hang up on their wall that says that they spent much of their life and much of their money getting other men to tell them men's wisdom so that they can be approved of men. And then they go out into life displaying this piece of paper that shows that they have purchased for them worldly wisdom and hoping that enough people will think that their piece of paper is worth something that they can get a decent job with it. By and large, they find that that's not the case and that everybody these days has a piece of paper and that everybody thinks their piece of paper is better than your piece of paper so they really don't get anything out of it. Most college degree holders do not even work in the field that they studied in. So it's a crack, it's a broken system, but men will do that and they'll study the wor- the wisdom of this world. They'll go and they'll study economics. They'll go and study finance. They'll study marketing, how to lie to people professionally. They'll study all these things and then they'll go out and try and make a bunch of money with it. And at the root of all of man's wisdom, you'll find this final thing listed in verse 5, covetousness, which is idolatry. Everything that man does, all of man's wisdom, is it turns him towards covetousness and idolatry, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, all these things. There's a man of this world that is extremely wealthy. There's an overpass named after him. There's a whole highway named after him, I think in Oklahoma City, if it's not Tulsa. And I won't even name his name because it's not worth mentioning. If you know who I'm talking about, you'll, um, you'll, you know. But this man, his entire wealth that he has amassed, and it is a huge fortune that he has amassed, has been based on a wicked and perverse act of publishing dirty pictures. And he is renowned around the world amongst worldlings, and it's amazing that even people 
that there are people that um, will will turn up their nose at what he produces and at the same time name a bridge and a highway after him. And publicly they'll act like they don't like what he does and they'll act like they're holier than that, but then they go and they name bridges after him and honor him because of his money. He made all this money. So their covetousness overrides their morality and that's the way the world works. So here we're told walk in wisdom toward them that are without and that wisdom that God's talking about is going to be a wisdom that can only be attained while mortifying your members which are upon the earth. We're going to move on from there before we get hung up. Uh, verse 8, we've already studied these so when you keep moving. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Now the world thinks that it's wise to shoot off your mouth. The world thinks there's wisdom in being angry. The world thinks there's wisdom in blasphemy. Blasphemy. The world thinks there's wisdom and filthy communication, but the Christian is told to put them off. So the wisdom then that we're told to walk in in Colossians 4 and verse 5 is a wisdom that's free from anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication, lying in verse 9. The world thinks that lying is wisdom. Marketing in America is how to professionally lie. They are taught how to lie. The lawyers work with them and figure out how much they can lie and get away with it and then they put their lies up and they uh, put their lies all over cereal boxes and they put them all over milk cartons and they put their lies everywhere that they can put them did you know that a jug of milk a jug of whole milk at the grocery store has the same exact nutritional values assigned to it after being boiled and recooled, strained through a tiny mesh, and then and all of the cream nearly taken out of it, all the fat, and then they put it in the jug and they show their whole milk having the basically the exact same nutritional value as a raw milk, as the same gallon of raw milk. Now, you tell me how that works. They're lying. They are putting the nutritional value of the raw milk on a jug of processed milk that they have boiled and recooled and strained half the nutrients out of. How do they get away with that? I don't know, but they do. They're professional liars. That's what it. That's what that is. Now, I'm not saying all marketing is that, but by and large, what we find in America for marketing is nothing but lying, and that's worldly wisdom. You can make a lot of money in marketing. You can make a lot of money pumping people up and telling telling them half-truths and deceiving them, and the world thinks that's wise. If you can cheat and get away with it, the world calls you wise. Well, God says don't even cheat, even if it costs you, and the world says that's foolish. Do you see where we're going with this? Do you understand that there's a difference between the worldly wisdom? James says, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. So there is a wisdom that is from beneath, and there is a wisdom that is from above. And the wisdom that is from above, it deals in truth. Verse 14 says to put on, uh, verse 12 says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. The world doesn't think that's wise, but God says put it on anyway. Kindness, humbleness of mind. Oh, that's not wise. You've got to put yourself out there. You've got to learn how to, to put yourself forward, how to climb the ladder. And the Bible here says put on mercies, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness, of mind, meekness, long suffering. The world says if you can make a buck, make it and don't care about who you hurt doing it. But God says meekness, bring your power under control, bowels of mercies, humbleness of mind. Don't put yourself forward. Don't take the upper seat. Remember how Jesus said as he marked them that chose out the upper seats in the feast and he told them don't take the upper seat, take the lower seat. And the world scoffs at the wisdom of Christ. We've got to keep moving. Lord, help us today to keep moving, not to waste any time at all. So there, he says, the meekness, the long suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The world says, sue them and get all the money you can out of them. And the wisdom of God says, forgive them and suffer yourself rather to be defrauded than to go to court with a brother in Christ. 
The wisdom of Christ is a indirect contrast to the wisdom of the world. In every area and arena of life that the word wisdom can be applied, the wisdom of Christ is in direct opposites and direct contradiction and direct conflict with the wisdom of this world. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ is considered foolishness. I remember reading about a Bible student who went to seminary only to find out from the professor that Whenever Paul, whenever the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, notice it was the Apostle John, according to the professor, not the Holy Spirit through John. And so he said that when John was writing the book of Revelation, and he blasphemed and said that John was basically in dementia. He said he was in his doting, which is old term for losing his marbles. So he was going crazy, the professor said. What kind of a Bible professor would dare to say that one of the inspired books of the Bible, it was written by a crazy old man who'd lost his marbles. That is absolute wickedness and blasphemy. But that's what the world thinks, and that's what they teach, and that's why you shouldn't go to Bible school if you want to be a good minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stay out of those hell holes and just read your Bible. Go to church, study under your pastor, and, and get in the Bible and soak yourself in the Bible and let the Bible change your mind instead of going and learning what people say about the Bible and letting them change you. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's wisdom, and that's the basis of this wisdom. He says in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, walk in wisdom toward them that are without. So that walking in wisdom toward them that are without is a walking in accordance with the scriptures that cannot be broken, as Jesus Christ said, a walking in accordance with the word of God. Now we have two parts here to this verse. We have walking in wisdom toward them that are without, and we have redeeming the time, and we're going to zoom in on this walking with wisdom and then, and then on the redeeming the time. Now we've already looked at some of wisdom, so this will be quick, and we'll get right on to the time aspect. Foolish behavior hinders the gospel. Laziness hinders the gospel, and this ties in, will tie in, tie in with redeeming the time. Carelessness hinders the gospel. Carelessness. Whenever you do something that just shows carelessness, it hinders the gospel. Sloppiness hinders the gospel. Go to Ephesians 5. And as you're going there, extravagance hinders the gospel and many other things, uh, many other shortcomings in character hinder the gospel. Here in Ephesians 5, he says, but fornication, verse 3, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as become a saint. So these sins, he says, not to let them once be named among you as become the saints. And he goes on here. These make sense. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. But he goes on here and he, get, and he digs a little deeper. Verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. We're called to soberness in the word of God. And here he says that filthiness and foolish talking and jesting are not convenient. These things will hinder the gospel. These things have to do with blocking the gospel. Whenever a lost man sees you, what he sees is going to affect what he hears. And there's just no way that you can get around that. By the way, in the qualifications for an elder in Titus, and Timothy, the qualifications for a bishop, it says that he must be sober. He must be sober, grave, not a slanderer. You've got to watch your mouth if you're going to be a servant of God. You've got to watch what you say. One slip can turn somebody away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, thankfully, it's not up to us to save people. Otherwise, we'd all be pulling our hair out. We trust that God, in his sovereign power, can use our imperfect attempts to share the gospel, to rescue people from the devil's hell, and God can and will do that, and we thank him, and we bless his holy name. And that is God. 
God's side of the coin. There's God's side and there's man's side. In every doctrine in the Bible, there's the part which God has, his role, and then there is the divine, sovereignly given responsibility that the almighty, sovereign God of the universe has decreed and commanded that men be obedient in in order to gain the benefit of those Bible doctrines and of those Bible truths like the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. And if you will not repent, you will not reap the benefits of the gospel. Well, in the same token, a minister of the gospel of Christ, whether that's a layman who's just working down at the furniture factory every day, but he has lost people working with him and he wants to tell them about Jesus and he doesn't want them to go to hell, or whether it's the preacher standing up and preaching behind a pulpit with a suit and tie on, or whether it's a missionary in a foreign field or an evangelist walking up and down the streets with gospel tracts and gospel literature, whoever it is that desires to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ to their loved ones and the people around them must walk in wisdom toward them that are without. It is absolutely critical that your walk match your talk. If you go out there in the furniture factory and you go out there for your smoke break and you're standing out there and they start swapping dirty jokes and dirty stories and you're out there hee-hawing and belly laughing at all the dirty jokes and then one of the men there at at the assembly line, he's working one day and you start getting burdened for him and you walk over to him and say, hey Joe, I just wanted to tell you Jesus saved my soul. He's gonna say, what good did that do? You're no different than the rest of us. I don't see any difference in you. Leave me alone. I'm just as good as you are. Your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And we're commanded by God to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Now, we've been looking at the greater context and we started to zoom in. Let's look at the immediate context there in chapter 5. He says, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. And he's asking them there in Ephesians to pray for him. (coughs) Try and get turned over there. He says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, (coughs) that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And then he says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Now here he's asking for a door of utterance. He's asking for God to open for him a door of utterance. So let's just think about Paul up in Athens. And let's let's think about him walking up the necropolis up there. And he's getting up there at Mars Hill. And whenever he gets there, he sees a bunch of people having a drunken feast. And he's burdened, just like the Bible says. But in order to um, relate to them better, he's slides in next to them, goes along with their idolatrous practices, starts to eat up their feast and drink down their wine, gets drunk and falls around, slobbers, barfs on the floor, wakes up from a drunken stupor, and then with a hangover stands up and starts to preach Christ. What do you think? No takers? Paul's walk matched his talk. Paul wouldn't do that kind of stuff, couldn't do that kind of stuff, because there was something more important than having a good time or relating to people. Now, we do know in Acts 18, if I remember the chapter right, that Paul related to them as he preached the gospel. And you can learn a lot from Paul's message to the Athenians that Paul came from their perspective. He didn't try to preach to a bunch of pagan idolaters like he did to the Jews. He preached from their perspective. He did not compromise the truth of the gospel. But I'm telling you, Paul's walk matched his talk. Paul walked in a way that was wise toward them that are without. He wasn't over there begging money off of the idolaters. He didn't walk up to them and saying, Listen, I'm a preacher. I've come to your town to tell you about Jesus. And here's my hat, and I want you to fill it with silver and gold because I've got to buy a new car, and I've got to buy a lake house, and I've got to make payments on my condo on the beach. And so I need your money today so that I can keep 
preaching the gospel. We're going to get into all of that as we continue this study. Paul's walk matched his talk. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without. Paul asked them to pray that a door of utterance would be opened so that he could speak the mystery as he ought to speak it. Now, how many of you think that it takes wisdom to preach the gospel in a way that people can grasp it? It takes some wisdom, doesn't it? It takes some knowledge, some understanding, and some wisdom from Almighty God to preach the gospel. But it takes some wisdom to walk and to live in a way that does not shut the door before you open your mouth. Because if you shut the door to people with your walk before you ever get to talk, you won't have a thing to say to them no matter how many Bible verses you've learned or how burdened you think you are for their souls. It's over before it starts. So Paul says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Now here's where, here's a battle right here. Anybody can feel pretty good about themselves if they stuff their pockets full of gospel tracts and grab a Bible and they go out to the town square and they pass out a couple thousand tracts and they tell a hundred people about Jesus in a day and they worked hard and they get home and they can even send out a missionary newsletter and tell people what they did and people will say wow that guy's really putting out the work that guy's a go-getter he's out there getting the gospel out and people will want to support that kind of a missionary but if his walk is not matching his talk if his walk is not with wisdom toward them that are without then all of his effort is in vain before he even gets started and he will establish for himself a reputation that will destroy his usability and his ability to effectively get the gospel to anybody there are many ways you can destroy your your reputation laziness carelessness sloppiness extravagance the sloppiness. Imagine a man walking up to a up, up to Wall Street up in New York, and there's a bunch of stockbrokers up there, and they're running full speed. They don't have time to stop because they're living for money, and every second counts. And they're running back and forth, and he's hoping to catch some of them on their lunch break. So he goes up there, and he dresses up in a bunch of rags, and he puts on an old dirty hat, and because he wants to look like a farmer and a plain man and doesn't want to look like he's rich at all and he walks in there and he gets himself a um, a blood red banner and he holds up that blood red banner that says nothing but the word hell and he marches back and forth well he might do something for god and he might and that might be listen if god calls you to do that be my guest i'm for you you do what god tells you to do but i'm telling you if he wants to get into the hearts of those men and actually deal with those men if he wants to talk to them he's going to have to walk with a little more wisdom to talk to them if he just wants to be a visual stunning image to perk them and to make them think about hell, then go for it. If that's your goal, if that's what God told you to do. But if you actually want to get the gospel to them and get a hearing with them, you are going to need to have some wisdom and you're going to need to acclimate to them. Now you walk up there to them like a Bubba and you've got Bubba teeth in with them going every which direction. You got green goobers all over your teeth and your pants are half hanging around your legs and your shoes are untouched tied and you're trying to tell them your sloppiness is going to turn them off but by the same token extravagance can be just as foolish as sloppiness so now let's go to the african bush where you've got people just struggling to survive and they don't have two nickels to rub together they've never really had money in their life they've just lived by barter and by hunting and by the strength of their hands they've got little scraps of rawhide that they're wearing for clothing with the hair still on it and you walk up to them in a five piece suit with a Rolex watch and you won't get your feet dirty and you're wearing your wingtip black shoes out there in the red clay and you're making somebody stop and dust the toes of your shoes off and buff them for you every 30 steps you're not going to get anywhere with them your extravagance has cut them off from you and you off from them just like sloppiness (laughs) there's a lot of more ways 
We could get into this. Foolish behavior hinders the gospel. Foolish preaching of the gospel hinders the gospel. Foolishness in the presentation of the word of God hinders the gospel. Now, we like to say as Bible believers, as people that believe that the King James Bible is the word of God, and that we believe that you've got to go tell people about Jesus because they're dying and they're going to hell and they need a savior and Christ died for our sins and was buried and rose again we believe in getting the gospel out but if you go out there and you do it without wisdom and your walk is not with wisdom you will hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ (coughs) excuse me the second part here is redeeming the time and this deals with the motivation for walking with wisdom and the motivation is we don't have time So we are to walk in wisdom so as to not waste the precious time God has given us here on earth. There's a saying from a missionary, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. We don't have time in this world for speeding tickets. Do you hear me today? You're trying to get the gospel out. You're trying to get down the road and you end up with a big speeding fine. And now you've got marks on your record and it's costing you funds that you could be supporting missions with, buying tracks with, um, helping the gospel go forward with. It's taking you time. You're stuck in court. We don't have time for speeding tickets. We don't have time for bad business deals. Do you hear me today? We don't have time to get mixed up in shady business dealings. We're Christians, supposedly. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got the gospel to preach. We've got the Bible that tells people how that they can flee the wrath to come and be saved from eternal hell fire. We don't have time for bad business deals. We don't need to get into bankruptcy court as Christians. Do you hear me? We don't have time to waste on that stuff, much less reputation to waste. Once you get your reputation, reputation tarnished you've shut the door for the gospel to a whole group of people that have heard about you and it would be very rare that somebody whose reputation has been destroyed to to this to another man will be able to win him to the gospel we don't have time for tax evasions charges do you hear me today jesus said pay your taxes so that they won't be offended he wasn't saying because you're he, he listen he said of whom do the children of this world Uh, take tribute of their own children the nations of their children or of others and they said of others Jesus said then are the children free and he said of course that as joint heirs with God what he's saying is that we're free Technically, spiritually, a Christian is born again by the power of God, seated on the right hand of Christ in the heavenlies, and has no reason whatsoever, humanly speaking, to have to pay any taxes ever. But Jesus said, pay it anyway, so you don't offend them. And this ties directly into what we're talking about today. This is walking with wisdom toward them that are without, because... Excuse me, the money is not as important as the message. Do you hear me today? The money is not as important as the message. We don't have time for tax evasion charges, auditing, and jail. Now, I I am for you. I know of a Christian ministry. God was using it. I thank God for this man. I'm not going to name any names or insinuate who it was. But this man is a Christian minister. He he did not want to support all of the... Um, wicked things going on that the U.S. government was funding. And so he would pay everyone in his ministry in cash. And he did it. And they were not paying their taxes. And here came the IRS and they apprehended him and they put him under tax evasion charges. And we know we can look, we can say IRS targeting. And there was some of that going on. Absolutely. But what happened? What happened? Whether you want to say he's justified or not, he spent the next many years of his life. I'm not even going to say how many, lest you know, lest it give you clues as to who I'm speaking to, because his case is not the only case. And he spent a greater part of his life in prison, and his faith was damaged. By the time he got out of prison, his ministry was destroyed. His family soon became destroyed. And for whatever reason, he seemed to just walk away from many of the things he once taught and preached by the time he was done with it. We don't have time. 
That's, that's the bulk of what I'm saying here. We don't have time. We don't have time to be entangled in stupidity. We don't have time to waste going to jail for tax evasion. Guess what? Get, get this. We don't have time to waste going to jail for political activism. Do you hear me today? In a day where most people who believe the Bible and have and are really love the word of God, they also value the freedoms that our Bible-believing forefathers founded this nation on. And we're watching this nation have the freedom stripped from it because this nation has forsaken God and forsaken God's word. And that's a grievous thing and it's a hurtful thing to see the wonderful freedoms bought and paid for with the blood of martyrs first and the blood of patriots second to see those freedoms taken from us is a difficult thing to watch and as american citizens it hurts in the heart and we want to do something about it but i want to ask you today do you have time to do what you're doing about it I'm not saying don't get involved at all, but what I'm saying is we have something more important than political activism to be involved with, and you can throw your shoes at me if you want to, if that'll make you feel any better. We have something more important than political activism to go to jail for in this day. We have the word of almighty God. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have power through the word of God over the devil that is destroying people and destroying their lives. You want to throw away your life in political activism. Be my guest. I can't stop you. But we've got something more important and more valuable. You say we need somebody in the political arena. I agree. We need some good people in the political arena. And I thank God for them. And God raises up some people in the political arena. You better know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's what God has called you to do. Because unless God called you to do that, we have standing orders from the king to preach the gospel. And our primary mission on earth is not the preservation of American liberty, of constitutional rights. Our primary reason for being on earth is to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to all the world. It's not... To have lower taxes, better gas prices. It's not so that we have a border wall. It's not so that we can do anything else that we think is going to preserve the rights of this nation. The reason we live and breathe today is to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. God did not give us the, the mission of dying or going to jail for political activism. And we're going to move on from there. Well, I've got one illustration for you on that. I know of a young man. I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to give any specifics. And this young man went with a group of people to preach the gospel at a major event in a political area that was in a, in a lot. It was very tense area, and it was under very high security. And that man went in there and he wanted to stand for Second Amendment rights and he felt like he had the right to do it. So he packed his his um, handgun into that area. He did not intend to use it as far as I know. He did not. It was as he stated for self-defense. They um, the police stopped him at one point and checked his stuff and found it in his backpack and he went to jail. And everybody said, oh, the horror. Oh, the, what a wicked police system what a wicked political system so what we have the gospel to preach why are we mixing political activism with the gospel of jesus christ unmix it do you hear me if god wants you to stand for the second amendment the first amendment the third amendment or any other amendment go do it but don't mix it with the gospel in that manner Instead of getting the gospel out that day, he spent the day in a jail cell. There's no glory in that for Christ. Do you hear me? No glory in it for Christ. Now, you say, well, we need people to stand for the constitutional amendments. We do. We do need people to stand for the Constitution. We need people to stand for truth and right in this nation politically. I agree. Is that what God's calling you to do? 
Is it what he's calling your church to do? Is that where your finances are supposed to go? Where your time's supposed to go? Listen, we don't have time. We, we are out of time in this world. Jesus is coming soon. It's time to preach the gospel. Walk with wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. When Jesus, listen, I'm, I'm hung up here. I know that. We're going to go as fast as we can. When Jesus walked on earth, he was the son of David, the heir apparent to the throne of Israel. It was his right to rule and reign on the throne of David. Not only was he not recognized by his people, but his nation was under the authority of an oppressive enemy nation. And they recognized none of his rights. In fact, whenever they put him to death, the trumped up charges that they used against him to put him to death, Pilate had written above his head, the king of the Jews. That was the only thing that Pilate could use as an excuse to put Christ to death because Christ had done nothing amiss. And Pilate himself told the man, this man hath done nothing amiss. <clears throat> and if I misquoted that, forgive me and study it out. But Pilate told him, I find in him no fault. And the oppressive, tyrannical enemy government that was reigning over Christ's physical kingdom. Do you hear me? Could find no fault with Christ. He had paid his, he had paid the tribute money. He had, done, he had kept the laws that they had imposed. He had not been involved in activism against them. He had preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, if you want to get on a self-righteous high horse and say, yeah, but we're Americans, so that whatever, you, you be my guest. Again, you do what God tells you to do. That's all I'm asking you to do. And I am asking you, listen to me, we don't have time. We do not have time in this life to waste with anything but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. We've got a job. We've got to work. We've got a battle. And it's a bigger battle than First Amendment, than Second Amendment. As much as I love those things, the biggest battle that we have right now is not with flesh and blood. It's with principalities. It's with powers. It's with the rulers of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. The problem in the White House is not Biden. The promise or Harris, the problem in the White House is the devil. The promise is that the White House is full of spiritual beings that are leading and directing and guiding the government of the United States of America into a path of total self-destruction and reprobation. And you will not fix it with political activism. There's only one thing that has the power to turn the tide in this nation. And it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ preached in power and carried to every street corner and every home and every city in this nation. And that's what we need more than we need anything else. Listen, I'm going to say something you might think is radical, and I, but I believe it. And I'm not condoning not doing your part as a citizen and doing what you can to preserve our freedoms, like going out and voting and things like that, okay? <clears throat> but if every true Christian in this nation, instead of voting in this next presidential election, were to spend a month in prayer and fasting on their face before God for the revival of religion, of true and pure religion in America, it would do more for this nation than your vote could ever do. And I'm not saying don't ever vote. What I am saying is your vote is like a grain of sand being dropped in a bucket. It does count, but very little. Your prayers are as incense going up to God before his throne in heaven and God is the one who raises up one and sets down another. Promotion comes not from the north or from the east, or not from the east to the west to the south, but it comes from the Lord God Almighty. It specifically excludes north there. Promotion comes neither from the east nor the west nor the south. God raiseth up one and putteth down another. 
God is in control of this thing. And as long as the Christians of America, the true Bible, honoring Bible, following Jesus Christ, following Christians in this land, in this nation, as long as they continue to look to men to deliver them from oppression, we have missed the whole thing and we are going to see a continual downturn. Now, if we all pray and seek God and preach the gospel, let's, we're going to look at this next. Where was Paul at? Where was Paul at? Walk with wisdom. Verse 3, he says to speak, he says, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Paul was in jail. It might not get better. It might not get better if God sends revival. It might bring in a persecution. And you might end up in jail for your faith in Jesus Christ. But it'd be worth it to follow Jesus. Walk in wisdom doesn't mean you're always going to have everything work out for you. Now, we have the gospel to preach. We're told to redeem the time because we have the gospel to preach. We don't have time to build a big ranch. We don't have time to build a business empire. We don't have time to amass wealth. We don't have time to build bigger barns. We don't have time to invest in this temporal life. We don't have time. Redeeming the time. Make use of your time. Make use of your energy. Make use of your resources to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to this world. If you can't preach, back up somebody who can preach. Pray for them. If you've got money and that's what God's given you to do and you don't have the, the, you don't have preach in you and you're not very good at praying, keep praying anyway. Keep telling people about Jesus and use your money to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go out and find somebody somewhere. Go to your local church, if it's a Bible preaching church, and say, Preacher, I've got some extra money and I want to get the gospel out. How can we do it? Give me some ideas. Do you hear me today? Get the gospel out. We don't have time to waste. We don't have time to run our mouths. The next verse says, Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. We don't have time to run our mouths. You never know who's going to hear you. And how your indiscretion will color the gospel of Christ. You never know. How that you'll just be cracking a joke. And right around on the other side of the wall was the man you've been praying for for a month to get saved. And he takes your joke wrong. He doesn't have the context. He doesn't understand. And you didn't mean evil by it. But that old devil, the wicked one, takes that joke and rams it into that man's heart like a dart from the enemy. And it closes the door of the gospel before you even get a chance. And here all of a sudden it'll be the same day that the time will work out for you to get to talk to him about Jesus and he won't have a, the time of day for you because of that joke you told and it might even be accurate it might even be funny it might even not have anything actually wrong with it and if you understood the context you would understand it but he doesn't understand the context I'm telling you we don't have time to run our mouths <coughs> we don't have time to debate we don't have time to debate. Do you hear me? We don't have time to fuss and fight. We don't have time to spare to run our mouths. We don't have time to misspeak. Now we do it. We do all these things that we shouldn't do. We need God's grace. We need His power to not do it. But we don't have time to misspeak, to say something wrong and have to correct it. Did you know that when you say something the first time and somebody hears it for the first time, that that will stick in their mind? And you can re-say it another hundred times and probably not overcome the way you said it the first time. We don't have time to misspeak. Again, 
Now you go back, study out the podcasts that we've done and the scriptures involved in them. We, we preach here in this ministry that you must be filled with the Spirit. You must be animated by the Spirit of God, illuminated by the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God, anointed by the Spirit of God in your preaching, or you'll be ineffective. And that's God's part. But I'm telling you today, there's a man's part that goes along with God's part. You can grieve the Spirit of God. That's why we're told not to. You can quench the Spirit of God. And we don't have time to misspeak. But we do it. But we don't have time to. We don't have time to offend people unnecessarily. The preaching of the cross is offensive enough without you being offensive. Now he says here, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how ye ought to answer every man. Now salt the seasons and salt burns. Now in a cut, they, the old timers used to salt down a cut to keep it from getting infected. So they would say the salt... Salt will burn, but it will heal. <coughs> salt is going to burn. Whenever you're great, whenever your speech is seasoned with salt, that means that there's going to be an element in that speech that will burn the wounds of the sinner and cause pain. There's going to be pain in the preaching of the gospel. We don't have time to ignore sin. We don't have time to lie to the lost. We don't have time to beat around the bush. Hell hath enlarged itself, the Bible says. Warn every man, the Bible says. Listen to me. Hell is forever. Heaven is forever. Now, I misspoke there, and I'm following a misspeak that we've been misspeaking for years here in this nation. The lake of fire is forever. Hell is is going to be cast into the lake of fire. There is a hell to shun. And that hell is a place nobody's going to get out of until they stand before God to be judged and cast into the lake of fire. And you read your Bible in Revelation chapter 21, there is no way out. Those people that come up and are resurrected out of hell to stand before the judgment of Almighty God, not one of them gets a pass. Not one of them gets prayed out of hell. Not one of them gets baptized for the dead out of hell. Every one of them gets cast into the lake of fire for eternity and eternity and eternity. There's an eternal heaven and there's an eternal lake of fire and except ye repent ye shall all likewise perish. We don't have time to mess around with sinners and sugarcoat it. He didn't say let your speech be always with grace topped with sugary icing. He said seasoned with salt. We need some salty gospel, some powerful gospel, some warning gospel, some fiery gospel. Speak plain, but with grace. You ever see a toddler salt their food? They grab that salt shaker and ah, and they start shaking it up and down, up and down, up and down, sometimes holding it upright, sometimes sideways. They swing their arm and salt gets everywhere way too much salt over here not enough salt over there salt scattered all around on that where it's not even on food where it's nothing but a caustic messy rough gritty mess that annoys everybody you ever walk in a pile of salt barefoot in the kitchen where the toddler got a hold of the salt shaker and it sticks all to your feet and you try and wipe it off and it gets between your toes and it's rough and gritty and nasty and then it gets mixed with the water spill that the toddler made and then you got this this nasty mess everywhere it just annoys everybody listen to me today grow up we don't have time to be a bunch of toddlers with the salt of God's word don't waste the salt that God gives you. He says, let thy, let thy speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. You've got to get the salt in there, but you've got to get it in the right proportions, in the right places, or it will do more harm than good. If you hand anybody a taco with cheese and sour cream and it's got meat on there and it's yummy and everybody would love to have it and you put a tablespoon of salt in there they'll taste it and throw it on the street for the dog how often does the gospel get cast out behind the back of the sinner because we had no sensitivity to the holy spirit of god when it came to salting the food you got to mix the salt in and you got to sprinkle it on top and it's got to be the right amount, not too much, not too little. 
Without the salt, somebody will throw the same piece of food away. With no salt, it does no good for them. And they ha- it's not savory. You hand somebody some food and it's not got any salt at all in it. Most people don't want anything to have to do with it. <clears throat> you can eat almost anything with salt. But there's a lot of things without salt you can't even bear to eat it unless you're about to starve to death. Listen to me. Let's grow up. Let's not waste the time that God's given us. And how do you, how do you acquire this? Careful witnessing is the best school of ministry. When you're wondering, how do I go tell people about Jesus? I, I want to do it, but I don't know where to start. I understand that. I understand that. Guess how you're going to learn how to witness? You're going to learn how to witness witnessing. And that's the only way you're going to learn how to witness. You can watch YouTube videos. You can go along with somebody that God is using in that area and learn a lot. And that will help. But until you go out and do it, you're not going to learn it. There's just no two ways about it. It would be like trying to learn how to swim by sitting on the beach watching a professional swimmer. Until you get out in the water and try, you don't have a chance at learning. You can learn about it, but you're not going to learn it. You've got to get out and do it. And we don't have time. There are people that need the gospel. There are people that are going to go to hell. And when you get out there, especially if you're brand new, there's times you're going to dump the whole salt shaker on somebody. It's going to happen. God knows that, and he'll have mercy on you. I'm just saying don't live there. there's other times you'll walk away and you didn't give them any salt at all. All you gave them was grace and they weren't ready for grace because they didn't even know they were a sinner. And you'll walk away going, wow, that was smooth. Wow, they smiled. Wow, they talked to me for an hour. And you didn't get anywhere. And someday God will show you that and you'll be, oh man, I wasted that time. That's going to happen. What I'm saying is not that that's not going to happen. What I'm saying is let's grow up. Let's press on. Let's grow stronger. Let's get better. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Do the best you can and learn. Learn to ask the right questions. You may only get one. You may only get one. Now, if you're really serious about learning to deal with people and you want to learn how to talk to people, I'm going to give you a wild recommendation. Go find yourself a telemarketing company and go work for them for six months. Any more than you might apostatize or go crazy. But you go out there and they'll teach you how to talk to people. Now, I'm not talking one of these rude ones. Find one that has a little bit of class and they'll teach you. The world knows how to talk to people. Do you hear me? When they're trying to sell something. And by the way, if your livelihood depends on selling somebody something they don't want, you'll get pretty good at talking to people too. So if you're really desperate about learning how to talk to people, you bet maybe just get off the tractor, get out of that, that backwoods job that you have that you love to do, and go expose yourself to a very difficult job that's way outside your comfort zone because witnessing to people is outside your comfort zone. I'm not saying you have to do this. I'm just saying this might be something for you. God can use it and break you out of your comfort zone, and you can use it as training. Honestly, I listen, um, you could go work at a call center for nine months and get more. If you open your Bible, put it on the desk, read it every day, all the time, meditate on Scripture, work hard at your job, please your boss, and work in that call center for nine months, you'll get more about soul winning than you would get in nine years at a Bible school. And you don't even have to be sharing the gospel with these people. You can be selling mop buckets. And you will learn more about dealing with people. And I'm not talking about tricking people into the gospel. But we need to learn some grace and some seasoning with salt in our dealings with people. You might only get one question to ask. You better make it a good question. You might only get one sentence, one word to say. What's your word going to be? You need to walk, when you walk up to somebody, you need with the help of God to be sizing up the situation and saying, is this man in a rush? Is this man jogging if he's jogging he's counting heart rate he's trying to keep up with the tempo of his run he's got all these stats on his health tracker back home and he's trying to prepare for a marathon and he's not going to give you five seconds if you ask for it you don't get it so you've got to figure out what to do in five seconds if you're going to approach him at all or you've got to wait until he comes back walking it off 
And then you might need to walk with him. Do you hear me? We need some wisdom today. Some wisdom in how you deal with somebody. You deal with somebody strung out on meth. You got to deal with them different than a businessman. We need some wisdom today. Walk in with wisdom toward them that are without. It's out there at 9 o'clock on a Friday night and a dark night. And you've been witnessing to drunks all night. And you and your church are there. And you're kind of standing off by a dark alley. And here comes a woman with two toddlers you don't know it but around the corner her car broke down on the bad side of town she's terrified scared out of her mind and you step out of the shadows with a tract about hell and stick it right in her face don't be surprised if you get pursed to death okay we need some wisdom we need some grace we need to be seasoned with salt we need god to give us some wisdom and he says and he says why look here and we're going to be wrapping this thing up we got to close out let your speech be always with grace seasoned with salt that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man that ye may know how that ye ought to answer every man every single person that you meet out here in this life that we live is a completely individual person to them their life is the most important life they have memories you know nothing about and you care nothing about but that matter to them more than life itself they have possessions you may not know about that they hold dear and that they hoard and if you saw that silly little glass clown sitting on that old lady's knickknack shelf you might hee-haw and laugh and say i don't want that in my house but to her it matters and she's got her own needs she's got her own wants she has her own tastes she has her own experiences just because she says she goes to this type of church doesn't mean she believes what that church believes who knows why she's there you've got to have some grace and you've got to have some salt and you've got to know how to answer every man be ready to listen if they're willing to talk ask them questions listen carefully to their answers carefully don't just ask them questions to make them feel better before you give them your monologue Listen to them and find out where they're coming from. Ask them questions that open them up and give them the liberty to express themselves openly if they're willing to do that with you. The secular world calls this engagement. And they say, you'll sell way more mop buckets if you engage people. Well, we're not in the mop bucket selling business. We're not selling anything. But I'm going to tell you something today. People are people. People are people. And just because you value the gospel doesn't mean other people will. And until you show people that you care about them and can work into their life, not in a way to beguile them, although Paul said to one of the churches, I caught you with guile. That's not what we're talking about is a way of cheating them. No, you're trying to offer them the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. They have all kinds of preconceived ideas. They have people they have met things that people have said that have already closed doors in certain areas and they're just waiting on you to hit that little red button and when you hit that red button they're done and there's nothing you can say and you don't know what the red button is because you've never met them yes this takes being filled with the spirit i'd be the first to to jump up and down and shout that you know that if you've listened to this to this program at all but i'm telling you when you're filled with the spirit and you're trying to follow the spirit it's going to take some wisdom some practical daily wisdom some grace and some seasoning with salt Seasoning with salt does two things. It makes them want it and it hurts in the burns. It does both. Too much salt, they'll run away. Not enough salt, they'll throw it behind their back. And no matter what you do, a large number of people are going to run away or throw it behind their back anyway. But that doesn't excuse us and it doesn't excuse us from the command in the word of God to walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. 
Thank you for listening today. May God bless you as you go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this lost and dying world. If you are lost and you've listened to this today, I encourage you to go back and listen to other podcasts that specifically deal with salvation through the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He's God Almighty, born born of the Virgin Mary in the flesh. He became a man, though he is the eternal God who created the world. He died for you. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And if you will repent of your sins and believe the gospel, you can be saved today. If you're not sure what we're talking about, again, you can go back and look. Get yourself an authorized version. Um, Some people call it the King James Version. And get the Gospel of John and read it and read it and read it and believe. And God will save your soul. Thank you for your time. We love you in the Lord. Thank you all that are here today. May God bless you. Amen.